Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey everyone, welcome to God's Whole Story. My name is Ryan and I am here today with Chelsea. Uh, My confession... Oh, hello. My confession is, basically, with the reading... We are going to be in Second Kings and Second Chronicles and Jonah, and currently the only thing I care about is Jonah. You read so many words. It's a long reading today. <laughs> I'm really proud of you. Um, so just so that you guys get the benefit of the whole reading, you should stick around and listen to it. Uh, also, we could talk about King Uzziah a little bit. Yeah, he was awesome, and then he was not. <laughs> this is a thing. This is this is a yeah. thing that we see historically in these kings, is that a lot of them... Not a lot of them, but the ones that do start out well tend to struggle finishing well. And something that Mandy and I talked about a couple of days ago is a common theme between these guys that start out well and don't finish well is they don't destroy the pagan shrines. Yeah. Like the, they don't, they just don't obey all the way. Yep. It's like a halfway thing. Which is what I say to my kids. It's a phrase. Obey all the way. All right. I like it. Well, they don't. <laughs> well, you know, kids. <laughs> Uh, but I do think there is something to be said for, like, it is great to live your life well. And part of living your life well is living the end of your life really well. Yeah. Something to pay attention to. That's good. Yeah. Um, all right. It's a word, as some people would say. I've never said it in my life. I, I don't even know still what you just said. <laughs> that's a word. Oh, that's a word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. The Mennonites didn't say that very often. Um, Jonah. Yes. You have thoughts about Jonah. Okay. I have thoughts about Jonah just because I spent a long time writing a paper on Jonah. (laughs) So I can get really nerdy about Jonah or I can get, um, I can point out some of the cool stuff about Jonah. What do you prefer? Nerdiness or? Uh, Maybe both. (laughs) Um, So this is a, this is a chronological Bible. Uh huh. Um, This is not where you would typically find the book of Jonah. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is historically where the story of Jonah took place. Right. So it's interesting to note that the story of Jonah takes place during this split kingdom. Is this the first book of, pro- like, a prophetic book that we're reading? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. This um, is a, he's a minor prophet. Yes. So this this is happening at this time. Uh, this, this Bible, and actually it says it in the Bible, is that this is, Jonah is... Uh, prophesying during the reign of Jeroboam the second uh-huh. in Israel. Yes. Yep. Um, so it's just, it's just interesting to note to me that the context of Jonah's prophesying, he's going to a foreign nation mm-hmm. to tell this foreign nation about God in a time where the actual nation chosen by God doesn't care about God at all. Right. So you can see where, why Jonah would be a little frustrated. He's probably yeah. like, why aren't I talking to my actual people? Yeah. And, but God makes it very clear that he has compassion on this nation of Nineveh, which makes it clear to us that he has compassion on all the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even back then, Nineveh was a, was a city, I believe it was the capital city of Assyria at that time. Yep. Or just a really big city in Assyria. Um, so it was really influential city in a nation that was primarily antagonistic Super towards evil too. the people of God. They were very violent and gross and awful. Yes. Is those Assyrians? <laughs> but oftentimes, the the story of Jonah, especially in the in the uh, children's ministry days, uh, the story is that Jonah was afraid to do what God said, mm-hmm. which is not really fair. Right? He just didn't want to. He didn't want to because he knew what God would do. Right? Um, Jonah was actually 
not afraid. He was against God's mission of reaching people who he didn't like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is a pretty important take on the story that we don't get oftentimes. Right. Um, another thing I want to talk about is the interpretation of the book of Jonah. Cause some people say it's just like a story or a parable, but I mean, my personal interpretation is that it's a true historical event. And to read the book of Jonah is kind of like reading the book of Genesis, like not being concerned about science and um, how is this possible, but being concerned about God who is so- like over and over again, we see that God's sovereign over creation. He sends a giant storm. He sends a fish. He commands the fish to spit Jonah out. He sends a scorching wind. He sends a worm. He has the sun beat down on Jonah. All sorts of things are happening. Yeah, God's God sovereignty is definitely very present. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting to look at this book. There's a lot of accurate historical markers in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, Nineveh is a real city. Um, the 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 king at the time is a real king. So like like Jonah is recorded in the Book of Kings mm-hmm. um, as a prophet. So it's it's pretty tough to look at this with a critical mindset and actually come to a place where you could say Jonah's not real. Right. What you may be able to say is he probably wasn't actually swallowed by a fish. Right. It was just like a, a parable or a nice fairy tale to like teach people a lesson. Also Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Jesus mentions it in Matthew and Luke, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and talks about the parallel between three days. Jonah spent three days in the fish. The son of man is going to spend three days in the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, another interesting thing as I was, <laughs> I was reading things while you were reading the Bible. <laughs> That doesn't happen often, right? <laughs> but I was looking at um, how Jonah spent three days in the fish. It's also a three days journey into Nineveh to like see the whole city. Jonah journeys one day into Nineveh, so he's barely trying. <laughs> he journeys one day, says his message, and then just like gets the heck out of there <laughs> and sits on a hill. So he eventually obeys God, but he does it half heartedly, and <laughs> God still uses him. Isn't that crazy that God is like, okay, I'll take your dumb message that you like half-heartedly said and still save these people. It's interesting because as you're pointing out God's sovereignty at work in this story, another marker of God's sovereignty is that Nineveh repents. Right. Yeah. So it's so not only sovereign over creation, but over nations like people and, and yeah. people's hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Jonah pretty, pretty much tries to avoid the mission completely and then is very reluctant and does a half-hearted job. God's still sovereign over that. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so much to point out in this book. It's so good. I wish we could do, maybe that should be one of our books that we do next year. Book of Jonah. Um, but Jonah has this prayer inside the fish that is actually, I think it's, I think it's like a pretty decent piece of Hebrew poetry. Um, when you read it in the original Hebrew, I think people would say, wow, that's like really beautiful poetry. Um, but he makes these promises to God that he's going to fulfill vows. He's like, he recognizes God's sovereignty that God, only God can pull him out of the depths. Um, Yeah. It's like, he has this moment where you think, Oh, he's repenting. He's going to like, he's going to do this. But um, even though he obeys, it's still like, he doesn't have a great attitude about it. (laughs) I wonder if he thought like, once I get out of this fish, God's going to be like, eh, never mind. You can just go back to Israel. (laughs) So at the very end of the book, um, Jonah's sitting on this hill on the east side of the city and builds himself a shelter. Um, God arranges for a plant to grow, and Jonah really loves this plant. (laughs) 
And from what I've studied, that question at the end of Jonah, people have been like, wow, why does this book end with a question? It, fe- it seems like Jonah ends on a weird note because there's no answer. Um, if there's an answer, we don't get to hear about it in this book. Um, I'm just going to read verse 10. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And I think what stuck out to me is bringing the livestock into it. And other versions says livestock or cattle, um, not to mention all the animals. And so God's saying, you had compassion on this plant that doesn't have nearly the amount of worth as a human being. Are you going to have compassion on the animals? Like, <laughs> yeah, I think it's God kind of being a little snarky. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I, I, I think it is. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a fitting spiritual question, to be honest. I mean, why shouldn't God be compassionate on the people that you don't think he should be? Right. Like we're all very grateful for God's grace in our own lives. We are rarely grateful or hopeful for God's grace in our enemies' lives. Hmm. Um, it's easy to look at these old documents, these old stories, these old histories, um, and make sense of it. It's much harder to actually apply it to our current lives. So we see very real enemies in our lives, not not your neighbor that you don't like. Like we see geopolitical enemies. Uh, we hear about it on the news. We hmm. see rockets and missiles and wars and all that kind of stuff. It should be our heart to see people turn to Jesus Hmm. in spite of the geopolitical tensions that we're aware of. So if there is a message in this book, there's a lot of messages in the book of Jonah. It's very short. It's Mm -hmm. very rich. Um, One of the messages is that God is gracious to even the people that we don't think deserve it. And that's why in ultimately in the story of Jonah, he's not a good guy Mm -hmm. and he's, he's not a good guy because he's not thankful that the city of Nineveh has repented. Um, and th- that should get our attention. Unfortunately, a lot of times on the flannel graphs, that's not what we talk about. We're like, oh, how can you live three days in a fish? Right. It's like, who cares? <laughs> um, yeah. And, and and again, I was talking about this a little bit the other day. Um, a lot of times our perspective of God in the Old Testament is that he's mean, he's judgmental. It's because we don't pay attention to these moments where he is incredibly gracious. Mm-hmm. And so God in, in this story has a heart for the city of Nineveh. That would be absolutely bonkers to the yeah. original audience yeah. that God in his sovereignty is concerned for these evil, evil people Yeah. in a time when his own people don't even care about who he is. Yeah. And it should get our attention that Jonah, this Old Testament prophet, he does not see God as judgmental. He sees God as gracious. Mm-hmm. So we need to pay attention to these moments where people who knew God in this context, they knew that he was gracious, mm-hmm. that he was merciful. That's why Jesus, when he shows up on the scene, is gracious and merciful. Right. It's because he is God. Right. And to people who were Jews, too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I just love, I love to look at the story of Jonah and think about, like, God's missional heart for people. Yes. Um, I think it's this awesome example of spreading the gospel in the Old Testament to the nations. Um, I was talking to one of our global partners um, this past week, and we were talking about... Um, there are people who are ready and willing and want to go share the gospel and they are prepared for the day that North Korea crumbles and they're like ready to go in there. Like it's going to 
that requires a lot of sacrifice and humility. And I can't even imagine like all the things that requires to like, these people are just going to go share the gospel. Um, and they're waiting for that day. Isn't that crazy? I, I love the kingdom perspective that God's mission is not halted because of what seems very difficult in our eyes. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's the story of Jonah. God's mission is not impeded because people seem mean. <laughs> it's like, that does not matter to right. God. What's also interesting is that Assyria is going to conquer Israel eventually. Very so, soon. So God's saving a city that's going to just like terrorize the Israelites. Isn't that weird? Yeah. The Assyrians very soon are going to carry off the Israelites really into oblivion. Mm-hmm. We're not going to find those people ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet God has a compassionate heart to these people at a time when his own people don't care who he is. Man, I love this book. (laughs) I wish I could spend more time on it, but we're going into Amos tomorrow. Another prophet. I love, I love these books, the prophets. I just, I mean, there's some crazy verses in here. We're going to get into it. (laughs) I'm not ready. (laughs) Second Kings starting in chapter 14. Amaziah, son of Joash, began to rule over Judah in the second year of the reign of King Jehoash of Israel. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Jehoiadin from Jerusalem. Amaziah did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, but not like his ancestor David. Instead, he followed the example of his father, Joash. Amaziah did not destroy the pagan shrines, and the people still offered sacrifices and burned incense there. When Amaziah was well-established as king, he executed the officials who had assassinated his father. However, he did not kill the children of the assassins, for he obeyed the command of the Lord as written by Moses in the book of the law. Parents must not be put to death for the sins of their children, nor children for the sins of their parents. Those deserving to die must be put to death for their own crimes. Amaziah also killed 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He also conquered Selah and changed its name to Jokthiel, as it is called to this day. One day, Amaziah sent messengers with, the challenge, with this challenge to Israel's king, Joash, the son of Joahaz, and grandson Jehu. Come and meet me in battle. But King Jehoash of Israel replied to King Amaziah of Judah with this story. Out in the Lebanon mountains, a thistle sent a message to a mighty cedar tree. Give your daughter in marriage to my son. But just then, a wild animal of Lebanon came by and stepped on the thistle, crushing it. You have indeed defeated Edom, and you are proud of it. But be content with your victory and stay at home. Why stir up trouble that will only bring disaster on you and the people of Judah? But Amaziah refused to listen. So King Joash of Israel mobilized his army against King Amaziah of Judah. The two armies drew up their battle lines at Beth Shemesh in Judah. Judah was routed by the army of Israel, and its army scattered and fled for home. King Jehoash of Israel captured Judah's king, Amaziah, son of Joash, and the grandson of Ahaziah at Beth Shemesh. Then he marched to Jerusalem, where he demolished 600 feet of Jerusalem's wall from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate. He carried off all the gold and silver of all the articles of the temple for the Lord. He also seized the treasures from the royal palace, along with hostages, and then returned to Samaria. 2 Chronicles 25 Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Jehoiadin from Jerusalem. Amaziah did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, but not wholeheartedly. When Amaziah was well established as king, he executed the officials who had assassinated his father. However, he did not kill the children of the assassins, for he obeyed the command of the Lord as written by Moses in the book of the law. Parents must not be put to death for the sins of their children, nor children for the sins of their parents. 
Those deserving to die must be put to death for their own crimes. Then Amaziah organized the army, assigning generals and captains for all Judah and Benjamin. He took a census and found that he had an army of 300,000 select troops, 20 years old and older, all trained in the use of spear and shield. He also paid about 7,500 pounds of silver to hire 100,000 experienced fighting men from Israel. But a man of God came to him and said, Your Majesty, do not hire troops from Israel, for the Lord is not with Israel. He will not help those people of Ephraim. If you let them go with your troops into battle, you will be defeated by the enemy no matter how well you fight. God will overthrow you, for he has the power to help you or to trip you up. Amaziah asked the man of God, But what about all the silver I paid to hire the army of Israel? The man of God replied, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. So Amaziah discharged the hired troops and sent them back to Ephraim. This made them very angry with Judah, and they returned home in a great rage. Then Amaziah summoned his courage and led his army to the Valley of Salt, where they killed 10,000 Edomite troops from Ser. They captured another 10,000 and took them to the top of a cliff where they threw them off, dashing them to pieces in the rocks below. Meanwhile, the hired troops that Amaziah had sent home raided several of the towns of Judah between Samaria and Beth Horon. They killed 3,000 people and carried off great quantities of plunder. When King Amaziah returned from slaughtering the Edomites, he brought with him idols taken from the people of Ser. He set them up as his own gods, bowed down in front of them, and offered sacrifices to them. This made the Lord very angry, and he sent a prophet to ask, Why do you turn to gods who could not even have their own who could not even save their own people from you? But the king interrupted him and said, Since when have I made you the king's counselor? Be quiet now before I have you killed. So the prophet stopped with this warning. I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have refused to accept my counsel. After consulting with his advisors, King Amaziah of Judah sent this challenge to Israel's King Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, the grandson of Jehu. Come and meet me in battle. But King Jehoash of Israel replied to King Amaziah of Judah with this very story. Out in the Lebanon mountains, a thistle sent a message to a mighty cedar tree. Give your daughter in marriage to my son. But just then a wild animal of Lebanon came by and stepped on the thistle, crushing it. You are saying I have defeated Edom, and you're very proud of it. But my advice is to stay at home. Why stir up trouble that will only bring disaster on you and the people of Judah? But Amaziah refused to listen, for God was determined to destroy him, returning to the gods of Edom. So King Jehoash of Israel mobilized his army against King Amaziah of Judah. The two armies drew up their battle lines at Beth Shemesh in Judah. Judah was routed by the army of Israel, and its army scattered and fled for home. King Jehoash of Israel captured Judah's king, Amaziah, son of Jehoash, and grandson of Ahaziah at Beth Shemesh. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, where he demolished 600 feet of Jerusalem's wall, from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate. He carried off all the gold and silver and all the articles from the temple of God that had been in the care of Obed-Edom. He also seized the treasures of the royal palace along with hostages, and then returned to Samaria. The rest of the events of Jehoash's reign and everything he did, including the extent of his power and his war with King Amaziah of Judah, are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. When Jehoash died, he was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Then his son, Jeroboam II, became the next king. The rest of the events of Jehoash's reign and everything he did, including the extent of his power and his war with King Amaziah of Judah, are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. When Jehoash died, he was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel, and his son Jeroboam II became the next king. 
Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, began to rule over Israel in the 15th year of King Amaziah's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 41 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to turn from the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had led Israel to commit. Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Labo Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. For the Lord saw the bitter suffering of everyone in Israel, and that there was no one in Israel slave or free to help them. And because the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel completely, he used Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, to save them. King Amaziah of Judah lived for 15 years after the death of King Jehoash of Israel. The rest of the events of King Amaziah's reign from the beginning to the end are recorded in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. After Amaziah turned away from the Lord, there was a conspiracy against his life in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But his enemies sent assassins after him, and they killed him there. They brought his body back on a horse, and he was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. King Amaziah of Judah lived for 15 years after the death of King Jehoash of Israel. The rest of the events of Amaziah's reign are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. There was a conspiracy against Amaziah's life in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But his enemies sent assassins after him, and they killed him there. They brought his body back to Jerusalem on a horse, and he was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. All the people of Judah had crowned Amaziah's 16-year-old son Uzziah as king in place of his father Amaziah. After his father's death, Uzziah rebuilt the town of Eloth and restored it to Judah. Uzziah, son of Amaziah, began to rule over Judah in the 27th year of the reign of King Jeroboam II of Israel. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he, re he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother was Jehoiah from Jerusalem. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. But he did not destroy the pagan shrines, and the people still offered sacrifices and burned incense there. The Lord struck the king with leprosy, which lasted until the day he died. He lived in isolation in a separate house. The king's son Jotham was put in charge of the royal palace, and he governed the people of the land. All the people of Judah had crowned Amaziah's 16-year-old son Uzziah as king in place of his father. After his father's death, Uzziah rebuilt the town of Elath and restored it to Judah. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother was Jehoiah from Jerusalem. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, who taught him to fear God. And as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. Uzziah declared war on the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabnesh, and Ashdod. Then he built new towns in the Ashdod area and in other parts of Philistia. God helped him in his wars against the Philistines, his battle with the Arabs of Gur, and his wars with the Muonites. The Muonites paid annual tribute to him, and his fame spread even to Egypt, for he had become very powerful. Uzziah built fortified towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle in the wall. He also constructed forts in the wilderness and dug many water cisterns because he kept great herds of livestock in the foothills of Judah and on the plains. He was also a man who loved the soil. He had many workers who cared for his farms and vineyards, both on the hillsides and in the fertile valleys. Uzziah had an army of well-trained warriors ready to march into battle, unit by unit. This army had been mustered and organized by Jael, the secretary of the army, and his assistant, Masiah, 
They were under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's officials. These regiments of mighty warriors were commanded by 2,600 clan leaders. The army consisted of 307,500 men, all elite troops. They were prepared to assist the king against any enemy. Uzziah provided the entire army with shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and sling stones. And he built structures on the walls of Jerusalem designed by experts to protect those who shot arrows and hurled large stones from the towers and the corners of the wall. His fame spread far and wide, for the Lord gave him marvelous help, and he became very powerful. But when he had become powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord his God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. Azariah the high priest went in after him with eighty other priests of the Lord, all brave men. They confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is the work of the priests alone, the descendants of Aaron, who are set apart for this work. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have sinned. The Lord God will not honor you for this. Uzziah, who was holding an incense burner, became furious. But he was standing there raging at the priest before the incense altar in the Lord's temple. Leprosy suddenly broke out on his forehead. When Azariah the high priest and all the other priests saw the leprosy, they rushed him out. And the king himself was eager to get out because the Lord had struck him. So King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in isolation in a separate house, for he was excluded from the temple of the Lord. His son Jotham was put in charge of the royal palace, and he governed the people of the land. Jonah, starting in chapter 1. The Lord gave a message to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord heard a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had defended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Why did you do this? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should we do to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. 
He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more to your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out on the beach. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to the great city Nineveh and deliver the message I have given to you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if I if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, a worm ate through the stem of the plant, and it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? 
Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, It means a lot to us, even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, If you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, We would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, You can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcasts at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you. And if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.